You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those who lived well, who died well, who walked here on the earth and met the challenges of their time. I call out to these people who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in a rich legacy. And they bring that legacy to the living that we might learn from those who have gone before us. I call out to these ancestors to stand close to help us to remember how to connect directly with them and draw that legacy forward to inform us, the living, in our own lives, that we might meet the challenges of our own time in ever better ways. And may we do so in a way that is good for all living things. And may we do so in a way that brings our gifts forward for those who are coming. And let us each reach beyond the human ancestors to the rest of the fabric of life, to all of those living things that were here long before there was ever a human and will be here long after. We call out to this uh, diverse expression of life itself and we ask these ancestors to help us to remember that we are elemental beings, to help us to remember our own true nature, to help us to settle deeply into our true humanity to feel the feelings that move our heart and to learn again how to be the unique blessing that humans are in the great fabric of life. And so we call out to our non-human ancestors to assist us as well. And as these ancestors are gathering around us here today, let us gather ourselves from wherever we might be into our heads and from our heads to our hearts And from our hearts, let us focus down into our bellies. And from our bellies, let's take a nice deep breath and extend our energy down and connect with the earth, literally, perhaps by your hands or feet, or just in your own imagination, reaching to the earth to give thanks to the earth for beauty, for diversity, for the abundance all around us, and even the challenges of our time. For all of these things that fill our life's journey and help us to become the men and women that we are meant to be, we give gratitude for all that is in this moment and gratitude for all that will be. And we take a moment and simply give profound thanks for the incredible wonder of life itself. And with our heart opening up as we consider all that is present for us to live and to grow and to be As we feel gratitude for this and stop taking it for granted, let us sink our energy into the earth and give gratitude as we move down through all the layers of the earth, giving deep, deep thanks for our life. And as we reach down through all the layers of the earth, let us take a moment and simply connect with that energy that draws its strength and power out of darkness, out of stillness, out of silence, out of solitude. 
let us connect with that energy that gives us dreams and journeys, deep, deep, soul-satisfying prayers and blessings. We call out to this energy and we draw it up through all the layers of the earth, reaching in deeply and drawing it up into our lives, bringing in nourishment, bringing in restoration and rejuvenation and replenishment. We draw up this energy, bringing in all the wisdom of manifestation that we might learn how to be here in form in a good way. And as we draw the earth's energy up into our bodies, let's extend our energy down to know who we are and where we stand and what we stand for. And as we determine that which truly has heart and meaning in our lives, may we build our sense of home, our sense of belonging based on these things. And may we... Build our sense of home in such a way that the door is open for those who are other than we are, that our table has a place set for those who do not have, and that we call these energies in that they might help inspire us to be more than we are right now, that we might wrestle and connect with energies and ideas and ways of thinking and being and feeling that are foreign to us, that they might challenge us and awaken in us energies that have been long dormant because we do things the same way every day. We think the same thoughts every day. And so we call out to that capacity in life to spark newness, new ideas, new ways of being that we might become the men and women we are really meant to be. And with this energy of the earth, let us come into understanding to how to be in right relationship within ourselves, right relationship with our environment, right relationship with other living things, and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we connect through all of these many webs and interconnections of life, let us come into that great web of life in our own imagination. And to take from that imagination a moment of feeling part of that great oneness and know our place that is insignificant but essential in all that is. And from this energy, let us draw our energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind. Taking a nice deep breath and drawing the earth energy up, up and out through the sky above and whatever weather it holds, out through the atmosphere as it thins and out into the cosmos, reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever way you know this energy, however you conceive of this highest power, let us draw this energy down, down through all the layers of the sky, into ourselves, into our day, into these proceedings. And in this way, we connect the earth up to the sky and we call these divine energies down to bring in blessing and protection, to bring in the benevolence of our universe. We call these energies in, absorb them into our body with the intention to use them in this day, to give us the strength and the energy that we need for commitment and devotion, to be inspired and to inspire others, to illuminate the way, to find that lighthouse in our own storm. We call these energies in that we might feel the great beneficence of our universe. We draw it into our head and our heart and our belly and send it down to the center of the earth. And in this way, through our practice, we connect the energies of earth and sky within us, drawing in the rich blessings of these realms and allowing their coming together to awaken the spirit of our own heart. And as we open our heart, to our own deep, deep inner blessings. Let our heart awaken 
the crucible of transformation that lives in the heart and let us reach deep into our belly and call up that which we truly have passion for those energies that move us in our life no matter the circumstances of the situation we call those energies up into our heart and we call down the crystal clarity that can come through the mind, our ability to see the world around us for what it is and to make choices in that real world that can propel us into the future. So we call these energies into our heart so very different in their nature and let them dance there in the heart. And in that dynamic tension of that dance, may they give birth to that third and most sacred thing, which is your own ability in your heart to remember why you are here to have some sense, some movement, some passion, some understanding there in the heart for your own deep, unique genius. And you may you find courage in that same human heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that genius out into the world. And for all of the spirit help that we all have to do that, I give great, great gratitude. May we all remember to use it. May what needs to be said be said, and what needs to be heard be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd like to give thanks to Eileen, to Julie, Blake, Stephanie, Heather, Cecil, and Luca, and all the listeners who have donated to the show. Why Shamanism Now is listener-supported. So if this show moves you in any way, whether it moves you to inspiration and illumination or frustration and irritation, you have been moved in the heart. And I invite you to do that most central of shamanic things, which is to allow that which moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world. And I invite you to do something, then large or small, to help the show, to support the show in some way. Um, if you can donate, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. Donate any amount, large or small. I'm not really expecting anyone to necessarily donate $5,000. But having a thousand of you around the globe donate five, not so unreasonable, a possibility. So I invite you to donate any amount in any currency. We are welcome to receive all of it, and it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And for this assistance, I am truly grateful. And I'm equally grateful for all of the other things that you do that are not financial, but that you do to help the show grow strong, to spread the word about the show, to share the teachings in your life, in your own practice, in your own journey circles, to wrestle with them, to ask questions about them, and to uh, give us a reason to talk about the next step along this journey of bringing true shamanic practices into effective action in our contemporary world so thank you all for all that you do so we are not live today but if you do have questions about today's topic you're welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org you're also welcome to go to lastmaskcenter.org to register for classes for the cycle teachings um, even for the online uh, classes that will be offered newly in 2018. So today, the topic of our show is the lost art of learning from stories. So there was always a story, but there was no storyteller in the beginning. There was no storyteller in the dreaming until there were beings who needed to learn. 
Thus, where there is a song of life, there is a need for the storyteller. In the beginning of the time of the storyteller, only true stories could be told. In the beginning. But as we look at the stories of the people on this earth, they tell us of a time that there was a distancing between humans and spirit. They tell us of a time just before when spirits and humans and animals and plants and all shared the earth together and communicated freely and fully. But something happened and there was a distancing of spirit and the humans. A storyteller tells us that 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 distancing came about when someone used the ability to tell a story, to tell the first lie. It is not clear if spirit or humans told that first lie. But it is clear that stories matter. A Siberian elder has said, If you don't know the trees, you may be lost in the forest. If you don't know the stories, you may be lost in life. To tell true teaching stories, we must work diligently to get out of the lies, to get out of our own lies, and to get out of being lost in the cultural story of our time. To learn from true teaching stories, we must recover from our desire to be told only the stories we want to hear. Or the stories that tell us we can have it all and sacrifice nothing. Yes, to learn again how to learn from true teaching stories, we must remember how to access our own indigenous minds. This is the part of the mind that holds the tension between discipline and imagination. And to learn from true teaching stories, we must learn to smell that smell of the lie. So, to learn from a teaching story as contemporary people, we need to do five things. We need to go into our mind. We need to turn off our analyzer. We need to turn off our memory of how things are. We need to turn off our programming, that which we have received so abundantly from the world around us. We need to turn off our fact checker. And we need to turn off our proof reader. We need to turn all these things off as they exist in the mind and listen with our heart, to know the truth in our heart, to catch the smell of the lie, but to move in this realm of story with all these things turned off in our head and to turn on our indigenous mind, to turn on our observer witness self, to turn on the recorder or the one who simply listens deeply. Terry Pratchett says, people think that stories are shaped by people. In fact, 
It's the other way around. One of the things that I observe in people's emails um, over these now 10 years of why shamanism now, um, nine years, what I observe in people's emails is this lost art of learning from stories. So let me get to the point I'm really trying to make about what I see as this manifestation of this lost art of learning from stories is that we as a people in contemporary time, at least here in the Western world, have gotten very literal. It reminds me of this game that I used to play with with my nephew when he was very young, very, very young. And the game was a game um, that had uh, cards that had very bright colors and shapes on them. Big, bright primary colors and secondary colors, no yellow, green, blue, red, and triangles and circles and squares and stars, I think. And the game was simply a matching game and was about matching um, a red square with another red square, not a blue square. And so it was just a simple game for children of matching shapes and colors. And so this is what I see people doing now. Instead of actually learning from stories, I, I see people listening to stories only at the level in which they hear the shapes and the colors. And so their response then is something like this. Um, I heard you talk on a shamanic summit about your depression and initiation experience. I feel that way when I'm depressed too. So I must be a shaman too. How do I start teaching like you are? That's a literal paraphrase of an email I have received multiple times from multiple different people. I'm not making this up. Another version would be, I learned to journey and I found out that my power animal is a bear. I had all of these crazy coincidences confirming that. Um, and then I had this really awful journey and my bear tore me to pieces. I Googled this and it's a thing. It's called dismemberment. So now I'm an initiated shaman. What do I do now? Another version of this shapes and colors way of listening to stories is um, I learned an energy or a spiritual clearing technique that really clears old patterns for people. It's just like soul retrieval. And I say, so have you ever had a soul retrieval? No, but it's just like you describe. And so it's not that people don't mean well, but it's that you're listening to stories. We've gotten so literal that we're only listening to stories from this sense of matching the big colors and the big shapes and calling them the same. And I think in some ways we're encouraged to do this from certain perspectives, but that's not really what I want to talk about today. I just want to talk about stories and learning from stories. So part of it is that we're listening to things that we want to hear. Like you're choosing to listen to this podcast and other podcasts, but you want to hear it, so you're listening, right? But it feels like we are listening even to these things that we want to hear in the same way that we listen to um, others when we're preparing how we're going to rebut what they're saying, right? That way of listening so that we can react or respond, but not actually hearing what the other person is saying, especially when they don't want to hear it. So my sense is part of what's happened is that we've just trained ourselves to listen in a particular way 
which then, when we're listening to stories, becomes this matching colors and shapes way of listening, but not actually hearing deeply what the story is telling us. So the story, when we're listening this way, remains an external experience. Like I said, it's blue squares and red triangles. And we haven't really tracked deeply how the parts of the story are functioning for the different characters in the story. So I think part of this is about learning to listen so that we actually hear. So listening in this way is a way of bearing witness, that recorder quality of really bearing witness and simply taking in the whole story, listening in a way that lets the story sink in and take up a resonance within us. Now, a true teaching story is about transformation. It has a beginning and a middle where the transformation happens and an end. And the beginning and the end aren't the same because a transformation actually happened. And to learn from these kinds of true teaching stories, we need to pay attention to the function. For example, the function of the depression in the story that was the story with the initiation or the function of the dismemberment in the stories about shamans for whom dismemberment happens to be um, their path to initiation, that you must pay attention um, to the journey as it unfolds along the way, not just the fact that somebody got somewhere. She's depressed. I'm depressed. She's a shaman. So I must be a shaman. You know, that's just paying attention to the journey and where it gets you and not, not what actually happens in the journey. What are the functions in that story that got from depression to teacher or shaman or healer or whatever? So I think that we culturally are very clear about the value of using story to teach and using a story to get a point across. I think particularly in the podcasts when I have guests, I think the the shows that are often the most interesting are the ones where the guests are really freely sharing their own stories to illustrate whatever point they're trying to make. But I feel like we've lost the art of actually learning from stories in part because we've lost the art of telling actual teaching stories. In other words, we see the value of stories to um, teach effectively, but it's, it's seen at a very practical um, how do I get my point across way versus how do I offer this teaching story to the next generation so that they don't forget the value of um, intimately loving the earth, right? It's, it's a little more transactional versus relational, I guess is what I would say. But at the same time, I think, you know, science is really powerful and there's a lot of science about storytelling, And like most of the things, um, these storytelling in the science about it is talking about effective teaching or if it's in um, research for advertising, it's kind of about effective manipulation. But, you know, the whole point is stories are powerful and they cut both ways. 
You know, a story is a thing of power. It can cut both ways. It can be used to teach. Uh, cutting the other way, it's a manipulation. So, but at the same time, the science is actually really pretty interesting. So I picked one of many articles. This one is by Leo Widrich. And it's an article about the science of storytelling. And it talks about stories as a learning tool um, because they are the most powerful way to activate our brains. So that's what the science is showing us. And so Widrich summarizes a lot of research saying um, if we listen to a PowerPoint presentation, for example, with bullet points, um, they don't even have to be boring bullet points, but just bullet points, a certain part of our brain gets activated. It hits our language processing part of the brain where we decode the words in the bullet points, we get the meaning, and that's it. Nothing else happens. But when we're being told a story, things in the brain change dramatically. Not only are the language processing parts of our brain activated, but any other area of our brain that we would use when experiencing the events of the story are also activated. In other words, if someone tells us how delicious certain foods were, our sensory cortex lights up. If the story is about some kind of motion or action, our own motor cortex gets active. So the story, so what Widrich is saying is the story can put your whole brain to work. So when we tell stories to others, um, that have really helped shape our thinking and our way of life. So this, so in other words, when we are sharing our own teaching stories, these stories can have the same effect on them, that the brain of the person telling a story and the brains of the person listening to the story synchronize because the story is activating the same parts of the brain in the teller and the listener. So... Uh, Woodrick shares this example that when a woman spoke English, the volunteers understood her story and their brains synchronized. When she had activated her insula and emotional brain region, the listeners did too. When her frontal cortex lit up, so did theirs. So by simply telling a story, the woman could plant ideas and thoughts and emotions into the listener's brains. Thus, the power of story. So anything we've experienced, we can get others to experience as well through the story or at least get their brain areas um, to activate in the way that yours did when you experienced it and does when you're retelling it. So the question then, given, given that even the science is telling us that story is a profoundly powerful way of engaging the mind and in particular of teaching how do we retrieve our ability as contemporary people to learn from a true teaching story so I have a direct suggestion that years ago there was a book entitled Women Who Run With the Wolves it was written by Clarissa Pinkola Estes it doesn't really matter how you gender identify for the purposes of learning to learn again from story. So this is a great book about how to relearn learning from stories. 
again, the idea of it being women running with the wolves and the sort of rewilding of your feminine spirit is irrelevant at this point. I would encourage everybody to read or reread this book because in it, uh, Estes, who is an amazing storyteller, who knows how to spin a true teaching story. So in this book, she takes 14 of humanity's great teaching stories. We would refer to them now as myth or fairy tale or something like that, and and in some sense dismiss them. And that's partly because the retelling of these stories in fairy tale form, for example, is pretty dumbed down from the original stories. Okay, not so in Women Who Run With the Wolves. So in this book, Estes takes these 14 of humanity's great teaching stories and reaches into your brain and flips all those switches into their proper positions that I talked about before in the earlier in the show. She turns off your analyzer, your memory of how things are, your programming, your fact checker, your proofreader, and she turns on your indigenous mind, your observer witness, and your deep, deep recorder listener. She just reaches into your head and flips the switches and then proceeds to teach in this painstaking way how to learn again from story. And I don't mean painstaking as the reader. It's really an amazing journey as the reader. But as the writer, holy goodness, the painstaking way in which she is looking at these teaching stories, telling the story, and then teaching you how to learn from that part of the story. So if you honestly want to learn how to learn from a teaching story, this is the, one of the most direct ways to do it is read this book, not from the perspective of the feminism aspect of it, but from actually relearning how to learn from a true teaching story. And for those of you that are interested in shamanism and you therefore, by definition, then you want to learn from your helping spirits, this could be the single most important thing that you do at this point in time to change the quality of your relationship with your helping spirits and your ability to learn from them, which is to reignite your ability to learn from teaching stories. So while you're curled up by the fire this winter or lying on the beach reading a book, right, read this book from the perspective of learning again how to learn from story. Okay. So whether we call them myth or fairy tale doesn't really matter these days. It is actually incredible as you read Women Who Run With the Wolves to feel this old teaching story rising up like some great leviathan from under the ocean, rising up out of this dumbed down, written off fairy tale version of these stories that live in our heads and surfacing as the powerful teaching being that it is. It's an incredible journey. And so the things we learn, I mean, I can't teach you how to do this in a podcast. I'm just suggesting perhaps you would want to do this and this is a way to do it. What you're learning in doing that is to begin to ask yourself the questions as you listen to a story, then ask yourself in this story, this other person is telling me, who am I in that story? Where am I 
in the journey the story describes. Am I at the beginning? Am I at the middle? Am I at the end? Did I eddy out? Am I not in it any longer? Right? What comes next in the story? So you know where you are in the story. What comes next? Right? In, instead of, I've been depressed too, just like you. I must be a shaman. That's like going from the fact that the blue squares happen to match up, rushing all the way to the end of the story with no idea of the journey in between. Right? Um, asking yourself, when you ask what comes next in the story, then asking what does that look like for me in contemporary life? Because the stories, especially myths, are often set in the past, right? Ask yourself, I'm in this story, I can feel it now, but have I chickened out of really being the protagonist in this story? Or have I eddied out? I'm circling over here out of the flow, the main flow of the story. Right. Um, And the strongest example I see of this is people who begin to engage in shamanism and helping spirits. They have a bunch of experiences. They interpret a bunch of experiences as initiation, quote unquote, and they eddy out of the flow of where the river is trying to take them uniquely in their own life. Because they think they've defined this. They're at the end of the story. Now I'm initiated and now I'm supposed to be a shaman. And, and not really any longer in the flow of this journey that spirit is trying to take you on to arrive at your unique genius and how you are meant to bring your medicine into the world. What truly has passion for you? So that's how people can get really powerfully eddied out of a story. Not, not just because you're being dysfunctional. My point is you're trying to be functional and in doing what you think the function is, you've lost the current of the story. Another question you ask is, so who needs to enter my version of this story to get this story back on track? And so my point about all of this, I hope you're seeing, is that learning from story is about no longer matching blue squares and yellow stars, right? What does this look like in my world is a real challenge. A really good teaching stories are mostly set in the past. And so what does myth look like in the here and now? This particular point is why I actually enjoy certain writers, um, mostly to help me imagine through, through their stories to imagine what does the arc of this journey, the arc of this teaching story, this archetypal journey that humans go on, right? What does this story look like set in my time? So I think there's actually very, very few writers that have this skill. Now, granted, I'm a slow reader and I don't read voraciously, so maybe I'm wrong about this. But what I see is, from my opinion, fairly ham-handed. With the understanding, I'm going to say right here, hands down, anybody who writes good fiction is awesome and amazing. It's incredible. It's incredibly hard to write fiction. And what I'm talking about is this, this set of stories in fiction, essentially, that are true teaching stories. Okay. So with that said, and, and I'm freely admitting I can't do it. So I'm already saying more power to all of you. What I'm really talking about is us as the readers and the listeners. How do we learn from story? 
Okay, so back to these writers who are able to put the old arc of the story into our contemporary line, uh, time. So in other words, um, it's not just this kind of ham-handed plopping Thor in New York or um, – the character in the story, the character just has a dream and all of a sudden they're, they've traveled to the fates or to the Norns back in time in their old place. So nothing creative's happened in that. Nobody's brought the essence of these mythic beings into the contemporary world so that you would literally know them if you tripped over them. Because you're not tripping over them. You're leaving the contemporary world to go find them or Thor is suddenly dropping into New York. But it's very kind of um, who would Thor be today in New York, right? Not just old Thor suddenly transported into a new place. So one author that I feel does this particular thing really well is Neil Gaiman. So, for example, in American Gods, and I'm talking about the book, not the TV show. Not that I begrudge the TV show, but I'm talking about the book and reading the book. And I'm talking particularly about the 10th anniversary edition of the book. So what I like about the book um, is, is not the fact that Gaiman um, gives us this accurate rendition of the gods um, – just put into present time. And that's a criticism of the book. The gods aren't really this way. But that's precisely my point. I think what Gaiman gives us is a vision of what these displaced gods would look like now engaging with these strange, distracted, contemporary people in this new land of North America or South America, frankly, well, at least in North America, that it's a land that was never about gods in the first place, right? And it's never asked for blood sacrifice. So what would happen to a god from another land with other people where blood sacrifice is asked for and is a truly held by the land valid kind of offering? And now that god is suddenly displaced to a land that doesn't care that the god wants blood as a sacrifice. That's not what's done here. What does that god do? That's what's interesting. What do the stories look like? in our lives today with all the challenge the gods would be challenged by what we're challenged by and challenged by us for goodness sakes so my question would be how would you know a leprechaun here in real life if you met one how would you know right so why would the story come into your life if you are utterly unprepared to see it if you're just matching blue circles and red squares, if you're unwilling to let the story resonate within you and have it show you the leprechauns through your contemporary eyes and your contemporary world, why would the story even come to you to teach you if you haven't prepared yourself to see it? So my thought here is this is why we need to read fiction. Okay, there's a lot of people that think for some reason that reading fiction is inferior. But from the perspective of writing, writing fiction is so much more challenging than writing nonfiction. And, and writing true good fiction and a true teaching story is, is an amazing 
you know, it's like the Olympics of writing. And the value of fiction is what it does to our mind and its capacity to envision a new story, to learn from the stories that are happening in our life all around us so we don't keep repeating the same lesson over and over again. So Philip Pullman, who's a beautiful fiction writer, in my humble estimation, says, after nourishment, shelter, and companionship, stories are the thing we need most in the world. So I'm encouraging you to read fiction. And the following is from a short piece by Mark Manson about learning to value reading fiction. Okay. So since I think you actually have to subscribe to his blog, I guess is what it's called, to actually get this, I'm going to read some of it to you because not all of you are going to be able to just click over there and read it yourselves. So one of the reasons um, about reading fiction is because – this is what Mark is saying. okay? Because we as human beings can never know enough people that we have a tendency – well, what Mark says is, I think storytelling in all of its forms, film, spoken word, written, is a cool hack that is designed to get humans to think outside of their own narrow experience and consider other points of view. And it's through fiction that we can actually get a glimpse into a very real experiences of others, which, if it sounds familiar, is because it is. It's called human empathy. And so if you go back to the science that says you can listen to the story about another person and have this other experience – All right, let me share a Why Shamanism Now example about this. I think Cormac McCarthy is an amazing writer. It's a really interesting little genre. I love it, right? It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely excruciatingly painful. But it is because of a Cormac McCarthy character and a Cormac McCarthy story that we have one of the best Why Shamanism Now podcasts that we have about the – the cold, dark thing that eases the broken heart and how that ultimately we have to choose to, to send that thing away and heal into our hearts about healing a broken heart. That whole podcast, which is one of my favorites in our archives, comes from reading multiple times actually this Cormac McCarthy story that I love because the characters are so not me. And so this is exactly what Mark Manson is saying, is that you can have this entirely different and other experience of human existence and gain empathy for someone who is not at all like you. This is part of what I love about really good fiction writers. So the second thing that Mark says is that reading fiction increases empathy. So... This is grossly paraphrased, but what he says is medieval Europe was incredibly violent. This is factual, by the way. People were burned alive in public. Animals were tortured for sport. People were flogged and tarred and feathered and ripped apart limb by limb all across the continent of medieval Europe. Right? Domestic violence was rampant. Infanticide was common and war was pretty much a constant. Okay, that hasn't changed. But anyway, so then 
it changed. Now, there's various and sundry reasons that it changed, but one of the constant themes that is arising as we look back to understand why it changed is people started to read. So books, so the printing press got invented, so books started getting written in addition to, of course, the Bible that was being first book that was printed, and people started getting educated to be able to read. People other than the clergy learned to read. And so people started becoming less violent and more sympathetic, not just socially, but politically and economically as well. People began not only to realize that everyone else has a unique internal world of their own, but that these internal worlds should be respected and empathized with. And this is why it is so important that we read fiction, because it exercises our empathic muscles. It teaches us to see the world as others to understand their views and perspectives, even if we don't necessarily agree with them or like them. Some of my most powerful teachers are the writings of people in their books. I've actually worked with some of those teachers in person, and they're not anywhere near as good as their books. So books can be teachers. Stories can be teachers, and we need to learn to learn from them. So back to Mark. So Mark Manson's third point for why we should bother to read fiction is that it's possibly the healthiest form of escape. And so keep this in mind, keep the science that we talked about in mind, about how a true teaching story is engaging your whole mind, your whole, you know, it's very much the same way that when you dream, you're having the whole experience in your head and your head doesn't necessarily know the distinction between dreaming and living doesn't know the distinction between a story and living, that, that the mind is still engaged in the experience. Okay, anyway, back to Mark. So Mark says, watching TV makes you passive and susceptible to suggestion, that you are simply an empty vessel receiving noise. Music, while engaging, is abstract and formless and often occupies the background of our mind, not the contents of it. But reading requires active engagement from your brain every second. Fiction allows you to practice this engagement while simultaneously providing the same escapism you get through other forms of entertainment. So it's important to read fiction also because this is where our storytellers are today. I also believe it's important to watch animated movies because this is where our storytellers are today. So the good ones there are able to tell the tale in everyday, the good animated movies, you know, tell the tale in everyday life and weave in a magic that is found only in the telling of stories by true storytellers. There is a way in which someone who is truly a storyteller can tell the story so that you can be in it. In other words, it's, it's real to you, everyday kind of real to you. And yet, they weave in the magic of the teaching aspect of the story. So, for example, right now in the United States, it just so happens that two movies are in the movie theaters. One is an animated uh, movie called Coco, um, which is about um, a young boy and his um, relationship with his ancestors, with the dead. It's... um, uh, and the whole thing is happening in Mexico. And the other story that's happening right now is called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. 
So they're both really strong storytelling in the movies, but very different. And one of the things that you see in in the the quality that the animation can bring is the magic. And so whether we're talking about Kubo and the two strings or Coco or Moana or any of these animated movies that are a retelling of old teaching stories is that there is a quality in the animation that can spin the magic in the way that a true storyteller can. And I think it's important for us to embrace the power of that technology and the amazing hours of creative human creative genius that go into making these stories and to not dismiss animated movies um, as child's play because many of them are some of the best storytelling and the telling of true teaching stories that are that are easily available and accessible to us today. Stories make us more alive, more human, more courageous, and more loving. Madeline Langle. So, it is often those who work with story that are perhaps the most unprepared to actually learn from it because they trap the story in their psychological understanding of it. And they are not willing to step off that ledge into that realm in which the stories begin to teach us of their own medicine. So, for example, I am often dismissed by men and women who are deeply involved in men's and women's work, men's and women's uh, movement in their work with this phrase, oh, right, the hero's journey. You know, as if anyone who ever has actually traveled that journey could dismiss that journey in another, ever. And so it's, it's, it's the fact that someone actually can be listening to me responding to some question they've asked me about my work and they say, oh, right, hero's journey and dismiss it that immediately shows me that they have not gone on that journey. Because the true harrowing nature of that journey would make one respect anyone else who had also gone on it. It is as if Joseph Campbell left us this recipe and all we have to do is to understand it, to bake that pie. And we don't really have to live it. No, no, no. There's no actual sacrifice necessary. Joseph has explained it all for us. We just have to understand the role that sacrifice plays in the story. We don't actually have to make one. And so one aspect of not learning from story comes from trapping the story in this realm of understanding is enough. Understanding is not enough to learn from story. That in learning from story, the story guides us in life to take the steps in the journey of the story in our actual actions in life. 
So if the story tells you that sacrifice is necessary, then you'll need to make one, not just understand its role that it plays in the movement of the storyline, but you will need to sacrifice yourself. If the story tells you that solitude is necessary, understanding isn't enough. Deciding three days of solitude ought to do it isn't enough. You will need to go into solitude as long as it takes for the solitude in the story to take you to the next step. And so this psychological manipulation of story without the willingness to actually get naked and dirty and live it is frankly kind of annoying. So my point is you can't just remodel your house. So if your life is a house and your stories are what that house is built on, through understanding and psychological understanding, you can continue to remodel that house, right? But to learn from story, you may have to tear the house down, but you most definitely will have to get the hell out and leave the house behind. So if your life is a house built of your stories, then people who say that they quote unquote work with story are often simply taking a story that is the equivalent of a room they finally got into through a locked door and it's very dark and depressing and, and icky in there and smells like mildew and um, cat urine and that this is the story of a part of themselves that has been hidden away because it was so shamed uh, in the drama with their inappropriately sexual mother, let's say. And so now what they're going to do through reworking the story, working with the story, is basically repaint the room. You know, get rid of the cat pee smell. Paint it nice, bright, shiny shade of sunshine yellow and commit to being the adult that that inner child needs to feel a healthy attachment. So that's a psychological remodeling of the house, but you're still trapped in that same house, right? So the house just keeps getting remodeled and repainted again and again. So this isn't as simplistic as matching blue squares and yellow stars, right? But it's still the same house. It just keeps getting remodeled. It just keeps getting repainted. Maybe you add a porch, but the person stays trapped, living in the same house. When we learn from story, we see how the child in the story is forced to sacrifice that last shred of their attachment to what they loved. How often in the fairy tales does the beloved mother or father die? Dead. Sacrifice. Loss. And the child wanders alone encounters strange beings, some who offer true connection, some who deceive them and betray the innocent, and some who take advantage of the naive and the innocent. The child must ultimately choose who they will be for another person, another being, maybe another being that is not remotely human. But the child must ultimately choose who they will be 
a trust, trustworthy, reliable connection or a dysfunctional deceiver. And it is only when the child has sacrificed it all in these old teaching stories. They have wandered. They have learned. They have made new choices. They have decided who they are going to be. And they manifest that person in the world. Then the goodness comes to them. The goodness doesn't save them. They make the choices. And the goodness comes. So in true teaching stories, the child isn't rescued. The child learns. When we truly learn from a story, we leave the house behind. We risk the unknown and the uncertain. We fail miserably. We get hurt. We hurt others. And if we learn from risking the unknown, if we learn from failing miserably, if we learn from getting hurt, if we learn from hurting others, then we learn to begin to live our own story. To stay in the house, psychologically remodeling and repainting the rooms, is to retell the story of the house and those who built it with our own lives. It is to live an untold story. Maya Angelou says that there is no greater burden than carrying an untold story. So read fiction. Learn again to learn from stories. Read women who run with the wolves from the perspective of how do I learn to learn again from story. Live your life in a way that leaves no story untold. Live your life in a way that recognizes you are retelling someone else's story with your life. Leave the house. Be alone. Be with a bunch of crazy beings, whatever the story is. But be willing when you realize you are living an untold story to leave the house behind. Live your life so that your descendants tell your story long after you are gone as a true teaching story. So ask yourself, what does your life story teach today? If this was it, what does it teach? If that is what you want your life to stand for, if that is what you want your story to tell, bravo, more power to you. But if it is not what you want to hand down to the next generations, if it is a story untold, then now is the time to change your life and tell a different story. So I give gratitude to the earth below, gratitude to the sky above, Gratitude to the ancestors that gather all around us and all the helping spirits that assist us along the way. And I give gratitude to your heart, to the unique genius that it brings into the world, 
to the story that you are here to tell with your life. And I give enormous gratitude that it is through those same hearts that we are all connected. May we bring our story to the great web of life in a big way. Thank you all.